Chapter Fifteen of Curly by Roger Pocock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Fifteen, mostly chalk eye. The loss of my near eye has led to a lot of mistakes on my part, especially when I mistook the brands on cows and horses, thought they belonged to me, and adopted the poor lone critters. I've always been fond of animals, anyway. Again, I argue that a person with two eyes had ought to see much more truth than I can with only one eye. But I don't find that folks are liberal in making allowances. They call me hard names instead. Now, that was specially the case over the Ryan inquest. I testified that old man Ryan died a natural death, because it would have been completely unnatural for Balshannon to miss him at five paces. Moreover, as I saw things, Jim never fired at all until Ryan was dead, and only began to shoot when he saw young Michael turning loose for battle. Judge Sprinks, acting assistant deputy coroner, allowed that I had been a whole lot present at the fight and was entitled to my one-eyed point of view. But then he remarked to the jury that the witness was well known to have such a defective vision with regard to cows that the evidence was tarnished on the point at issue. Judge, says I, this is a court of justice, and I'd like to see everybody getting a fair show. Now, as judge, you're sure incorruptible and righteous. Come to the point, says Springs. But, says I, if Judge Springs finds that the late Mr. Ryan met his death in a fair duel with Balshannon, then... Well, then there's a citizen named Mr. Springs who's apt to be reminded by the Ryan estate that he owes a heap of money. On that, we had considerable rough house until the judge called the meeting to order. Then he remarked, sort of casual, that he knew a citizen named Sprinks who was apt to shoot at sight when he met up with a certain notorious horse thief called Chalkeye Davies. So my evidence for Jim was set aside. I was pitched out of the court and for the next few days had to keep a wary eye on citizen Sprinks. He was an awful poor sportsman, and mostly always missed, but once I got a bullet through my hat. Afterwards, Mr. Sprinks admitted to his friends that he preferred a restful landscape and a less bracing climate beyond the range of my guns, so he pulled out for Yuma, and I saw his kind face no more. Now, I don't want to say anything unkind about Judge Sprinks or his jury, or his witnesses in that inquest on Mr. Ryan. But for Jim's sake, it is needful to point out some facts which were remarkable. Of the people who stayed in the sepulchre saloon to attend the gunfight, eight were unable to testify, being dead. Three, because they had gone to hospital. Two, because they were engaged elsewhere at La Marita. And one, which is me, on account of defective vision. Of the rest, the most part lit out from Grave City and totally disappeared. There remained Mr. Michael, two bartenders, and four other citizens, the only people who gave evidence. 
these witnesses swore on oath that jim came to the gunfight attended by curly mccalmont and ten masked robbers they also swore on oath that jim fired the first shot killing mr ryan the court returned a verdict that George Ryan came to his death at the hands of James Duchesney and recommended his arrest upon the charge of deliberate willful murder. I am not complaining. The court represented the majesty of the people and that august flag, old glory, waving above us. It was a right enough court, even if justice had strayed out and got itself lost for a while. I make no complaint because I reckon that a still mightier court than ours is sitting up above the starry sky to watch over fatherless kids who don't get a fair show on earth, to save them as gets desolate and oppressed, to vindicate justice upon low-lived swabs, liars, and cowards. I said nothing, but just stayed good and acted responsible, being in a minority of one against the entire city. The only time I ventured on any remarks was when I happened accidentally to meet up with Mr. Michael. He, the mayor, the city marshal, and a few friends were taking a drink together at the hotel. Good morning, Brian, says I. But I kept my voice all smooth for fear of rucking up my temper to no advantage. Good morning, sir, says Ryan. I come to congratulate you, says I on the hearty liberal way you've been acting. I thank you, Mr. Davies, says he, sort of ironic. Don't mention it, says I, for I ain't done no kindness to you, and I don't aim for cash or thanks in what I say. He reached for his gun, which was hazardous and apt to get fatal. Only the city marshal grabbed him before I had to fire. Let me be, says Ryan. This man insults me. No, says I, that would be impossible. I only congratulate you on the wholehearted, generous way you assisted a destitute judge and them poor, hungry witnesses. Easy, my friend, says the marshal. I'm most deaf, but if I hear any contempt of court. If you're feeling any contempt of court, Mr. City Marshal, you shares my emotions. And you, gentlemen, I turned on the crowd. If you feel any shame for the city and for any of the present company, I can only say I share that shame most bitter. The air was getting sultry with just a faint flicker of guns. If any of you gentlemen, says I, is feeling unwell for pills, just let him step outside with me, and I'll prescribe. If not, Excuse me, for I smell something dead in this company, and I'm aiming to refresh my nose in the open. I pace back, step by step, through the door. My address, says I, if I live, will be Los Salinas, and there you'll find a man who can't see to tell the truth, but can see a whole lot to shoot. Gentlemen, adios. So I got on my horse, swung to the saddle, and walked him backwards until I was out of range, but nobody offered himself up to serve for my target. I reckoned that the funeral ceremonies in honor of the late Mr. Ryan and friends made an event in the annals of Grave City. The caskets and wreaths 
the hearses and carriages the band and procession made the people feel uplifted with solemn pride and haughty to strangers for a full month afterwards as the weekly obituary pointed out in large type the occasion was great and a city which had flourished for twenty-two prosperous years was able to give points to mere mushroom towns like bisley benson and lordsburg the newspapers in those three rival burgs made light of the affair in a way which displayed mean envy and nasty carping spirit as for me i had got myself disliked a whole lot so i felt it would be most decent not to attend the exercises i had a feeling that if called upon to reply to any shooting i might disturb the harmony which should always attend a scene of public grief besides that it fell to me to arrange the burial of my old patron which it was difficult the preachers coffins hearses carriages and all the funeral fixtures being engaged that day and likewise also the graveyard i had to go without moreover the cowboys were mostly away at work on the round-up so i only caught eight of my tribe to help me we laid our friend on a blanket then four of us gripped the corners up to the horns of our saddles and rode slow the other boys coming behind until we got to the place where we had dug the grave there was only one man of us all well educated and that was monty who had been raised for a preacher before he broke loose to punch cows monty was shot in the face weak and feverish so i had to feed him whiskey before he felt proud enough for his job he read the service the rest of us standing round and when he was through we fired a volley before we filled the grave and piled rocks to keep off wild animals that was a proper stockman's funeral away out on a hilltop in the desert and i reckon the great father in heaven knew we had done our best in a brave man's honor End of chapter 15